And when you come to page 183, you'll come to what is also pretty much the last moments of Moses' life. Moses is about to hand over the, the leadership of Israel to Joshua. He's also about to die, which he knows. And after 40 years of leading the Israelites out of Egypt through the desert, in the verses that we're about to read tonight, these are pretty much Moses' last words to Israel. So starting at verse 11. The command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. It's not in heaven, so that you have to ask, who will go up to heaven and get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? And it's not across the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea and get it for us and proclaim it to us that we may follow it? But the message is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart so that you may follow it. See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, statutes and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen and you are led astray to bow down to other gods and to worship them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not live long in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God. Obey him and remain faithful to him for he is your life and he will prolong your life in the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now it is this confidence that we, ha we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not bring death, he should ask, and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't bring death. There is sin that brings death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not bring death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. 
Thanks, Jane and Peter. It'd be great if you can uh, keep that passage open. My name's Dan. If I haven't met you, met you before, um, it's been my privilege to preach through 1 John. Uh, we're at our last week. 1 John has been all about life, about flourishing life. And uh, in chapter 5, verse 12, it says this about life. Chapter 5, verse 12, the one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. I wonder, do you believe that? I've got a friend named Luke. Um, he doesn't have the Son, but he certainly appears to have life. Luke works about three, sometimes four days a week. The rest of the time he goes kite surfing, mountain biking, and heli skiing in New Zealand. He has a nice European car. He has an apartment uh, at Freshwater, uh, sorry, at Queenscliff, looking over Freshwater Beach. He seems to have life. But John insists only the one who has the Son has life. Now, do you believe that? I often find I don't. Of course, I do in theory. Uh, if I didn't, you'd probably have to fire me. But I find when I meet someone who's got it all together, is successful and got life all sorted out, I find myself getting threatened, feeling a bit insecure, maybe a bit unhappy. Because they seem to have something that I don't have, and I feel like I need more of that if I'm going to really have life, if I'm going to really live life. I wonder for you, who is it that you meet that makes you feel a bit insecure or threatened or unhappy? Is it when you meet the person who's just gotten engaged? Is it the businessman who's really successful? The person who's just bought a new house or a new set of wheels? A person with a perfect family? What, what, who, who? Or another way into this issue. When I'm feeling really worried about life, I, I sort of comfort myself with the thought of my bank account, which is not huge, but you know, I think at least I still have savings. What do you think? You know, I'm, I'm a bit worried about what's happening in life, but, but I'm okay because I've still got my skills, my job, my health, my fitness, my bank account. Friends, however you answered that, those things are idols. The Bible would call them idols. These are things that are not God, but we look to them to give us life. We expect them to give us security, safety, provision, happiness, whatever it might be. But John says, the one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. I don't care how many holidays they go on, how good their job is. But do you believe, John? Do you believe that? I've entitled tonight's sermon, Eternal Life in Jesus is Better. We're not just going to look at that little passage that, that was read out. We're going to look at all of one, John, tonight um, and ask this question. Well, try to, try to have John prove to us that eternal life in Jesus is better than anything the world can offer you. Now, you might uh, be here this evening and you're not trusting Jesus, you don't have eternal life. I, I want John to convince you as well. So that at the end you're saying, I want that thing, eternal life. 
And just to be clear, when I say eternal life, I don't mean, you know, when you die and you go to heaven. I mean eternal life, the life that comes from trusting Jesus, and it starts right now, and it goes on for all of eternity. So, let's have a look and see why eternal life in Jesus is better than the life of this world. Uh, I have 14 points tonight. And that's cutting it down. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why eternal life is good. I'm serious, 14 points. Let's get into them. It, we, it won't take too long, don't worry. Point one, eternal life is based in history. It is real. Come back to the beginning of John with me, 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Eternal life is based in history. It's real. What was from the beginning, what we have heard what we have seen with our eyes, eyewitnesses, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that's Jesus, that life was revealed, we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Eternal life is all about the real historical man, Jesus. You are not basing your life on some ideas or theories. That's what the devil would like for you to do, to kind of base your life on these shadowy half-truths that don't actually connect to reality. I'm amazed at the number of people who read these lifestyle magazines that every month have a new secret to really living life. Eternal life is based on fact, history, truth, not ideas and theories, but the historic man Jesus who was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Point two, eternal life is liberatingly honest. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And he calls us to confess our sin. We are all broken people, but we try very hard to pretend we're not. My wife and I were at a moderately classy restaurant a little while ago, and um, we had this waiter who was obviously new, and he was a little bit stressed. Uh, he obviously wasn't particularly classy, but he was really trying to put the appearance on and hold it all together. He got quite stressed, and he ended up spilling the water. And I said to him, mate, don't worry, we're not classy. You know, you know, while you're at it, get me some Vegemite for this bread roll. <laughs> that was, that's not true. But you saw the guy just go, oh, whew. And we got much better service after that. Um, it is liberating, isn't it? To get rid of the pretense. Stop pretending. Just cut it all and go, look, I, I don't actually know how to do this whole life thing. I'm not going to pretend anymore that I've got it all sorted out. I meet so many people who wear a mask and it's tiring. Isn't it liberating to say, God, no more games. I'm a sinner. I don't have it all sorted. We can only do that, though, because of the third thing. Eternal life is secure in forgiveness. Read with me from verse 8 again. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin... How does he respond? Well, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are secure 
in forgiveness. It's as if that waiter came out again with my Atlantic salmon and lime jus and spilt it all over my lap. And I said, don't worry. And his manager said, well, that's not very good, but don't worry. Your job is secure. That happens. You're secure. Our sin does not mean we are kicked out of eternal life. We're secure. Secure in God's family. And that's, that's the fourth point. Eternal life is belonging to God's family. Uh, flick with me over to chapter 3 and verse 1. Verse 1, look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. Friends, this is the heart and soul of eternal life. God is life in himself. From before the creation of the world, the Son was loved by the Father. And the Son loved the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Eternal life is that we get included into that. We become children of God, brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus, beloved children. Do you ever have that sense that you really want to belong to something, be part of it, belong to something significant? Well, at the very heart of the universe, in God, you belong. You're a beloved child of His. And so, fifthly, eternal life knows love. We became members of this family of God through the most horrible event of sheer love. Read with me chapter 4 and verse 8. Sorry, verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Before we ever loved God, he loved us. He saw us in our sin and he provided a solution so that we could be members of his family like his son. He gave us his son to die in our place. And that wasn't just some kind of generic act of love. Yeah, God's a kind of a loving guy, yeah. No, it was love for you. Can you say that about your job? It loves me. Can you say that about your house? It loves me. No idol loves you, friends. But God is love all the way through. You can dig down behind his motives and you will not uncover any self-interest. It's, it's love right down to the floor. And so when God says, do not sin, it's because he loves us. That's the next point. Point six, eternal life is rescue from sin. Read chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 with me. You know that Jesus was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Now, we sometimes kind of think that God's um, he's a bit of a killjoy, you know. Sin's a lot of fun, and he's kind of stopping us from the fun. But actually, it's not like that, is it? God is like the parent who knows how to have real fun. You see, sin is very appealing, isn't it? It, it holds out to us such promise. And yet, it actually has no goodness to offer us, no ability to deliver on its promise. 
I was chatting with a guy during the week and we, ha- we were reminding ourselves of this, this fact. We were reminding ourselves that when we're tempted, we need to remember this. I need to say to myself, Dan, you know it looks appealing, but what's it actually going to be like? What's it going to do for you? Because sin, sin is like this. It's like, um, it's like a, you see this tasty baked morsel and it smells good. And you kind of you lick your lips and you take a, take a bite and it turns into ash in your mouth. It just can't deliver. And yet that's what our world is feeding on. Beautiful looking, well-advertised ash. Eternal life is better. God calls us away from sin and towards love. And that's the seventh thing. Eternal life means loving. So read with me chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Love is where it's at. And not just kind of happy feeling love, but action love. Read with me verse 16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with action and in truth. Life is found in Jesus-like costly love. I want to tell you about two Russells. The first Russell came to Saturday Night Church about two weeks ago, and we had a congregational dinner after church. This Russell cleaned all the tables, and then some of the guys from church took the tables and put them in in the cupboard. It was a kind of a mess in the cupboard, so they just kind of chucked them in. Not good enough for Russell. He unpacked all the tables, reorganized the cupboard, and put all the tables back in. He came back to the hall where we had dinner, which was still messy, and he vacuumed the whole place. And John would say, that's living. Real action, costly love. Let's tell you about a second Russell. I have no idea about pop culture, but I've discovered that people do know who Russell Brandt is. Is that right? Some people do, from the, from the Sniggers. Um, he's a British comedian who was an ex heroin addict. Anyway, I saw him on this show, and uh, he said, I don't have a problem with, sorry, what is it? Yes, I don't have a problem with drugs and alcohol. I have a problem with reality. And the interviewer said, but your reality is brilliant. Your your stand-up shows are packed out. You live in Hollywood. You're in Hollywood movies. If you're not happy now, do you think you'll ever be happy? And Russell replied with, um, yeah, really astutely, he said, Yes, it's a lovely reality, but what I've realized is that you can't make yourself happy with the acquisition of material objects, or even through romance or anything. Those things don't make you happy. The only thing, uh, the only thing that can make you happy, I think, is being beautiful to other people and having a connection with something that we all share. That's a bit hippie and makes me sound mental or religious. Yeah, fair enough. Did you see what Russell's saying? He, reckon, he reckons real life is found when you actually love people or when you're beautiful to people, in connection with God. It's kind of what John's saying as well. In fact, John kind of puts those two things together, and that's the eighth point. 
eternal life can really love. So in chapter 4, verse 19, he says, um, we love because God first loved us. Now, Russell, I don't, I don't actually think he's loving, Russell Brandt. You see, why, is he, why does he want to be beautiful to people? So that he can be happy. It's actually all about him, isn't it? Which isn't love. But we can love. Because God has first loved us. We, we don't try to kind of fill up our own hearts with, by doing things for people. We are already loved. We already have filled up hearts so we can go out and give to others. And the amazing thing that John says is that as we do that, we're actually becoming like God. So point nine, eternal life is becoming like God. See chapter 4, verse 17? This is wild. Chapter 4, 17. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as he is in this world. And so, point 10, that was a quick one. Eternal life is confident about the future. Flick back to chapter 2, verse 28. Eternal life is confident about the future. Verse 28, so now little children remain in Jesus so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you're Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, you don't really want to think much about Jesus' return, do you? In fact, most of your friends at work don't really want to think seriously about Jesus coming back. They prefer to joke about it. Because the reality is terrifying, is it not? But we have boldness. Can you imagine that? At the coming of the glorious King of the universe, the Lord Jesus, we need not be ashamed. No fear. More than that, we can be hopeful. That's point 11. Eternal life is hopeful. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 2. This has been my favorite verse of the letter. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. What a brilliant hope. Let's contrast that with the world. What kind of hope does the world hold out to you? Well, the very best you can hope for is that one day you'll retire with a whole bunch of material objects, maybe some good relationships and power. You live on a resort and play golf every day until your knees give way and your heart stops beating. And then they'll cremate you, and you will become exactly what you've been seeking all these years, ash. Happy times. But we will see Jesus. Isn't that better? We will be made like Jesus, glorious. Isn't that better? And so point 12, eternal life is permanent. Chapter 2, verse 17. The world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does God's will remains forever. Friends, the world is passing away right now. 
You try to spend your life getting the world, getting your hands around the world, it'll be like trying to get a cloud in your arms, like ash in your mouth. We have eternal life. Eternal life is solid. It's, it's real. Actually living in the light of the reality that Jesus is Lord, that He is returning, that we are loved by Him. Eternal life is solid. It begins now. It goes on forever. And so, point 13, eternal life conquers the world. Chapter 5, verse 4. This is the victory that has conquered the world our faith. Friends, by faith in Jesus, you have the kind of life that the world can't even possibly offer you. It's just a life of a different dimension, a different order altogether. The life that we have in Jesus, eternal life, is so much better than the world Do you agree? Has John convinced you? Do you agree? Yeah? Yeah? Some? Some of us? Well, check this out. This is the last point. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. That's been John's John's burden all along. Check out chapter 5, verse 13. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he is the Messiah, the saving king, the son of God? Are you seeking to live that belief in obedient love? Yes? You have eternal life. How good is that? You have the kind of life that the world cannot even begin to measure up to. You have it. So, let's live it. Let's live it. You have the kind of life that the world can't even begin to offer you. You have it. So, let's live it. No more half-heartedness. No more foot in both camps, kind of living for the things of this world and seeking them, but I've kind of got Jesus as well. No more half-heartedness. I was reading a prayer yesterday that said, uh, forgive me for fluttering about religion. No more fluttering. Wholeheartedly living the eternal life we have in Jesus. Do you want that? How are you going to have it? How do we have that? Kind of boring, same as always, we repent and believe. We repent. Did you notice uh, John's funny little P.S. at the end of his letter? Random little line, verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21. Oh, and little children, P.S., guard yourselves from idols. We've kind of gotten accustomed to that with John. He's a bit strange. But actually, that's entirely what he's been getting at, at his whole, for his whole letter, I think. He's been guarding, he's saying, guard yourself against false visions of God. Guard yourself against false Christs. Guard yourself against those things in this world that offer you life but can't deliver it. Guard yourself from idols. Guard yourself from making your whole life about 
the career, the job, the money, the relationships, the lifestyle, fitness. Brothers and sisters, do you need to do you need to deal with some idols tonight? Do you need to repent of idols tonight? Do you need to repent of things that are holding you back from actually living eternal life wholeheartedly? I, I want to encourage you to do five things tonight. One, acknowledge the idols. Two, confess the idols to God. Three, tell yourself these can't give me life. And four, offer them up to God. If your house is your idol, then, then give it over to the service of the Lord. If it's your relationships, your jobs, give them to God. Do them for God. Acknowledge, confess, tell yourself they can't give you life. Offer them to God. And the fifth thing is from verse 16 in chapter 5. Help each other. If you see your brothers and sisters going off after idols and kind of giving up on life in Jesus, pray for them, talk to them, pray to, the, pray to God for them. It's a great promise that they will find life. Brothers and sisters, repent of those idols that hold you back from living eternal life. Repent and believe. Verse 20, have a look at verse 20 with me. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one. That is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Eternal life, truth, is found in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's press into Jesus. Let's press into his word, reading it alone, coming to church, praying that his word by his spirit would shape us and that we live shaped by his word, live eternal life more completely in more areas of our lives. We want to live eternal life more fully, don't we? Because eternal life is better. I just want to finish by telling you uh, one last story. Um, at my old church uh, that I used to be at, the oldies always used to say to me, um, as long as you've got your health, darling, that's the main thing. They'd say to me all the time. They'd say it about my kids. Dan, don't worry. As long as they've got their health, that's the main thing. Now, I was, um, I was preaching one day at, at church, and we had this big wooden pulpit, and uh, I, I, I'd kind of wandered off my notes, and I, I mentioned this to them, and, and suddenly this kind of anger and sadness welled up in me, and I banged the pulpit and said, it's not the main thing. It's not the main thing. And I hurt my hand banging. I just, it's okay, it got better. But you see, if this world is fading away, if this world can only offer ashes, then it's not the main thing. I don't want my kids growing up, you know, well-educated, healthy, happy, and eating the ashes of this world and passing away. I want them to live eternal life in God's reality, his good reality. I want them to trust Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I want you to trust Jesus. I want you to live eternal life. And so I say, your job is not the main thing. 
A big house is not the main thing. Relationships, fitness, they're not the main thing. Eternal life is the main thing. So let's cast out our idols, let's press into Jesus, and let's live eternal life, for it is better. I want to give you a a few moments now just, just to reflect. Are there idols in your life you need to confess to God tonight? Do you just need to quietly praise and thank God that you have eternal life in Jesus? Take a moment quietly by yourself and then I'll lead us in prayer. Father, we want to praise and thank you for giving us this eternal life in your Son. A life that we, the world can't offer us, we can't have by nature, but you have given us because you've loved us. Father, we are, we're so foolish, we're so sorry that we still cling on to the things of this world, thinking that they will offer us real life. Father, forgive us. Father, please shine a light on those, those things that are those idols that are, that are holding us back from living eternal life. Father, please help us see the glory of the life that we have with you. Please liberate us so that we might live more fully in your truth, in your reality, in the truth of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.